Hello, I'm Jenny Thomas. And I'm Nick Heath. And welcome to Jenny Thomas Talks About Child Bereavement for the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust. As a journalist friend and someone who lost a parent in my teenage years, my role in this series is to ask Jenny to share with us some stories, insight and guidance as to what's useful for anyone who is grieving or supporting someone who is bereaved. As a leading figure and pioneer in child bereavement, Jenny is the patron of the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust. On these podcasts, Jenny will share what children and parents have said was so important to them at this most difficult time in their lives. I hope you'll find what I've got to say and share with you beneficial. If you find any areas of what we discuss particularly difficult, I do encourage you to seek out a family member, a friend or counselling professional who is able to listen and be supportive. Jenny is regretfully unable to respond to any individual requests for support or counselling. But for more information on the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust, visit almt.org. And if you'd like further resources, you can head to Jenny's website on jennythomas.com or view the links in the podcast description. So hello and welcome to episode one of our new podcast series, Jenny Thomas Talks About Child Bereavement. Now for those of you who might not be too familiar with Jenny's work but have come here aiming to hear about these often difficult subjects to talk about, well alongside her work as a patron of a number of charities concerning child bereavement, Jenny's been a leading light in this area for many years and recognition has come from many places including from the entire NHS who bestowed Jenny with the inaugural Nye Bevan Lifetime Achievement Award and her work in founding the child bereavement charity in 1994 was recognized in 2002 with an OBE. So by sharing stories of those she's helped, this, this series aims to touch on all areas of bereavement, grief and death in order to help you if you're in that situation yourself or to offer guidance if you're working in a supportive role with a family, whether as a professional, as a family member or friend. So, as the introduction said, I've some first-hand experience of bereavement myself. I lost my mum at the age of 14, and I'm hoping that by being able to bring some of my understanding of loss to this series, well, we can safely discuss what might be some tricky topics to help you feel the benefit of Jenny's lifetime of experience. I'm honoured and delighted to have this role of speaking to Jenny, to hear about the sorts of things that have helped bring comfort to those who've needed it, and we're both very grateful for the generous support of the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust, who have funded this podcast, so you can hear those things too. So, Jenny, over to you. Uh, what do you hope this podcast can bring to those who listen to it? Well, first of all, Nick, may I start by saying, without all the bereaved families that I've met over the years, this podcast series would not have been possible. And I'd just like to say a very big thank you to them. As for what I hope this podcast can bring to those who are listening, people have asked me over the years, what's helpful when somebody dies? How do you say something to someone who's grieving? Because death and loss is not something that is spoken about. People are very nervous about it. And why is that? I think it's possibly because it puts us in touch with our own fears, our own fear of losing someone we love, or our own death. You know, those are very frightening things to lots of people. And they're worried about making it worse for someone who's grieving. So they often will say to me, well, I didn't say anything because I could see it was very hard and I didn't want to make it worse. You can't actually make it worse. When somebody loses a baby or a child 
and you ask them about it and you feel that you want to be, you're interested and you want to know something, that isn't making it worse. It might make them cry, but that is quite a helpful thing. They at least feel their child or baby is being acknowledged or a mum or dad. I mean, obviously you need to be sensitive. You need to do it in a time and a place. But don't ignore it and think it would, you'll make it worse because you can't. The worst has happened. And why do you feel qualified to speak about these areas? Because I've worked in the NHS for many, many years, right from the beginning of my career. So right from the sort of 60s, the late 60s. And I've listened to families about what it's like to be bereaved right across all the different areas in the hospital. Um, And I've listened to what families value and what doctors and nurses have done and what families wish had been done differently in some cases. A lot of times they're very, very grateful for the care they've had. I took that learning into training as a counsellor because I felt, um, although I was using it in a nursing aspect at work, I felt it was important that I trained as a counsellor. And I did, and I created the first counselling post in the NHS in the 80s. So I was an NHS counsellor, which I loved. I really found that a lovely job. And was that a challenge at that point? Did people understand the need for that? They were very relieved in the hospital. It was, no, it was very well received. You know, most professionals that I worked with who were also often friends felt like I did nervous about what do you do and what do you say Um, and so for me having a bit more confidence because I knew where my hurts and losses came from I knew which was my bit and which were the which were the bits that belonged to the people I was supporting Mm, okay and and I guess in doing that you also realize that you know many of your colleagues hadn't been trained in that area of course um and and that's one of the things that i think is woefully missing in the nhs you know that we need to be trained in how we approach loss and death i worked for many years in the in in the oxford regional health authority and with doctors nurses and midwives and then i went on to take that learning to found the child bereavement charity and all my years of nhs experience and all the resources that i'd made in that time were then made as part of the charity and the work of the charity was primarily to train healthcare professionals doctors nurses police coroners anyone whose work touched bereavement and loss teachers in schools anyone that wanted to know more about how to approach a child mm-hmm. And what have been the sort of key things that that you've been told from families? Probably the most important thing, um, and I did know it at some level, but hearing it back from the families I've seen, I realised that it's about being able to be with them and bear the pain with them. I don't try and make it better. You can't make it better, but you can listen and you can really be there to hear what they're worried about, what they're nervous about. And also just to tell them a little bit about what grief is. You know, what happens to us. We we often are hugely anxious when we're grieving. And lots of people don't realize that. They think that you just cry or feel depressed or that's not all that you feel at all. Um, and it's important for people to understand their grief and know what's happening to them. And what about the focus of your work now? The focus of my work at the moment is very much around helping parents where one parent is not expected to live and their children in the family. And I'm doing that with the Angus Lawson charity. Um, 
it's very helpful if parents can have that conversation before one of them dies. It's quite challenging work, um, but it's very important that we we help parents to know how do they speak to each other, what they want to say to each other, and also what might be helpful for their children. And that brings us to our guest today, former England cricket captain Andrew Strauss. Now, Andrew's wife, Ruth, died earlier this year after a diagnosis of lung cancer. And she and Andrew went to Jenny for counselling in the year leading up to Ruth's death to help them and their children prepare for it. Ruth died having returned to her native Australia to see her family at Christmas. Um, So, Jenny, can you perhaps tell us how you approach helping a couple like Andrew and Ruth? Well, my guidance to Ruth and Andrew was very similar to the guidance I've given to others who find themselves in this very sad situation. They needed to be truthful with their boys, their two boys, that mummy was not going to get better. They needed to gradually talk about very difficult things. They needed to use words like cancer, death and dying. And they had to show their boys that it was okay to be sad um, and upset and to cry because that would then make it easier for the boys to know that that's what they could do because mm. sometimes when you hear very sad things your natural reaction is to feel emotional and emotions are all right that's mm. why we have them yeah we need to express them so by being a role model for their children that Ruth was a really good example and in many ways Ruth was not difficult to help because she wasn't afraid of confronting reality mm the reality that she wasn't going to live. She was open and wanted to be able to be truthful. And that's at the heart of how I try to help people. Ruth didn't shy away from facing up what what was ahead of her. Mm. As hard and as difficult as that was, she wanted to do it um, helpfully for her boys. She was more concerned about them and Andrew than she was about herself. She wanted to know they would be all right and how I could help her do that. So we spent quite a lot of time looking at all the different aspects of loss and grief and I explained that she and Andrew should be open with them about what was happening. So, yes, I I, I wanted them to tell them gradually what was going on nothing too shocking nothing too quickly just to do it gradually okay well let's hear from Andrew now then um, who we're very grateful to for uh, for taking the time to speak to us and uh, and to begin with to hear from from him about how life began to change you know Ruth got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and she had a rare form of lung cancer that non-smokers get um, and What's unique about these cancers is that it strikes people younger. So, you know, most young lung cancer sufferers don't have dependent kids. You know, we obviously do. Our our kids are 13 and 11. And given that it was stage four, we knew that at some stage, you know, Ruth was going to die of this. And we we, we were hopeful that we'd have a reasonable amount of time. But from the moment she was diagnosed, you know, our mindset very much shifted to Number one, we've got to appreciate every day we have. Number two, while she is healthy, 
you know, we've got to keep active and keep living our lives. And number three, we have to, on one level or another, prepare ourselves and our kids for what's to come. And so that, that number three was difficult because none of us wanted to think about that really, especially when Ruth was well and there were plenty of treatment options. It was like, well, that's something that we're going to have to deal with at some point down the road, but let's hope we can keep kicking that can down the road for as long as possible. Almost that idea that the rest of us have, that we know mortality is an eventuality, but it, but it's not right here and now. Yeah, and actually, you know, I, I think both of us are sort of trying to kind of sort of negotiate our way through that and and absolutely right it was just a sort of condensed version of what we all go through none of us like to think about death because it's you know it's it's a hard thing to think about and we're hoping that it's we're not going to be affected by it for a a long time um what we knew with Ruth was it was condensed to you know if everything went amazingly well we might have five years we may have two years we may have one year um and in some ways, the not knowing was the difficult thing in the early stages. Um, but as the treatment options, we went through the treatment options and it became more apparent that, you know, that the time left for Ruth was more weeks and months than years. Then we really started to take this notion a bit more seriously about how do we prepare ourselves. And uh, Ruth's big thing was, and she was yeah, incredible in this regard, was I want to do death well. And that means I need to be prepared for it. You know, she needed me to be prepared for it, both in terms of me dealing with losing a partner, but also me being able to look after the kids and make sure that, you know, we have everything as much as possible in place to navigate our way through something that's obviously very difficult and traumatic. Did you both think that that grief and counselling support would be a good idea? When did you sort of bring that into into your sphere of thinking? Well, yeah, I think both both of us felt that we can't do this on our own. You know, we need people that do this day in and day out who who know the pitfalls and, and are able to help navigate our way through it. R- Ruth had some, um, a bit of psychological help through the NHS for her, Um and for a while, I was seeing someone for myself as well, but we really needed someone to bring it all together to help Ruth and I and the kids um, to prepare for what's to come. And, um, you know, we knew Jenny through a good friend of ours, uh, Jen Spencer, who, who'd, you know, had, had seen Jenny um, when she lost um, one of her young children. And, you know, she, she Jenny was just so highly recommended we, you know, we actually had a few people um, connected with, with Jenny one way or another. And from the moment we walked in there, I think there was something very different about the way that Jenny operated, you know, that sitting in a, in a lounge room rather than in a, in a sort of sterile office somewhere. And you know, Jenny's got a great, um, you know, just a great wisdom about what she says and what she does. And, you know, offers incredible advice, whereas you know, some of the other, not that the other counsellors were bad in any way, shape or form, but it, it was a bit more about us getting stuff off our chest. But what we actually needed was someone to tell us, look, this is what's likely to happen to you and this is how you need to be prepared to react to that. 
Yeah, and we'll we'll come to you in a moment, Jenny. Just uh, just in terms of your discussions with those councillors and obviously the support that was available to you, was it tough to know how to help Ruth emotionally with such difficult news? Are you an emotional bloke? Was it easy for you to, to sort of find the right instruments within yourself to deal with all that? Uh, well, I think Ruth was is naturally more in touch with her emotions than me. And I, I think I was just very lucky that Ruth was able and willing to engage in this stuff. So she she wasn't one of those people that was sort of blindly just pretending that everything was fine. You know, she was right in the middle of it and um, and was very strong, you know, and very courageous in her... Um, in her willingness to engage with all this stuff, really. So uh, I think that allowed us to have the conversations that we need to have amongst the two of us. You know, tough conversations about life after Ruth and her legacy and, you know, what she wanted the, you know, to instill in the kids and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, she, she was almost pushing me to have those conversations. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a lot easier if it comes that way than trying to sort of force it the other way, really. So, Jenny, you're taking on a role as an advisor to the Ruth Strauss Foundation uh, on grief and bereavement counselling. How were you first contacted to help Ruth and Andrew at, at the start? Well, I got, a, I got an email from Ruth, a very warm, friendly email, very honest, exactly what the situation was, just saying that she had heard about me from some, as Andrew said, some different folk that had knew, knew about my work. And would it be possible to come and see me? Because she felt um, that she needed, that it would be useful to know how to talk to the children. Um, I work in a way where I really always like to see both parents, if there are two parents. Um, and so I said, well, I'd be absolutely fine. I'd be more than willing. And would they come as a couple to my cottage? And I was just really pleased to meet you. I liked Ruth immediately. Um, and it was, it was hard because I knew what my job was. You know, you can just want to make a cup of tea and talk about everything that's lovely. But I knew that we had to talk about very difficult things. And I do find by, by holding the meetings I have in a really comfortable environment that doesn't feel in any way like it's work is helpful most families really like it and also I don't sit and take notes I don't have to do any of that in the work that I do I'm just there I'm really there to listen and to um, find out from both you and from Ruth about what was worrying what was what was the the thing that was going to be a concern over their boys and you know I know quite a lot about children and grief because I've spoken to many and I also know many that are now adults. So they tell me what it was like when they were young and what their mum and dad did or didn't do that, you know, happened or what they wished had been different. I, I do get quite a bit of that. I seldom get children saying they wished it was anything different if they were given all the information. I never have, actually. I've never had a child who's now an adult, or uh, you know, saying, I wish I hadn't been asked if I wanted to you know, going to the hospital, the hospice. I wish I hadn't been asked about the funeral, um, told I couldn't go, I needed to really, you know, be not be there because it would be too upsetting. Children really like... 
to be involved. They like it to be treated openly and honestly. So, of course, I could say that. It does depend on their age. In a way, your boys were a bit easier because they're quite similar in age. There's not like a big six-year mm. gap. And if um, if, the, the, if you're only six and, and someone else is 13, it is, there is a different way in which you might have managed talking to the boys. But, you, you know, th- that didn't occur, so it was good. And once you started seeing Ruth and, and Andrew, as, as you might with anybody else, how does one decide as to how often you're going to be talking to these people? What's the sort of process, for want of a better word, in, in terms of helping and supporting? I think I think I asked you um, if you'd like to come back again. I always do that because you never know, but it's usually a good idea to at least see someone twice. Um, you did want to, and we got diaries out. And I normally see people about every three weeks, perhaps a month, um, only because I think lots of people can manage grief and bad news in their own way, in their own time, and maybe come back to me when there is the next thing that they want to talk about, because there always will be a next thing. Um, so, yes, I think we, we we met last summer and then um, I think you were going away and then we met again at the end of the summer and then probably every three weeks or every month. Um, and the last time I met you with Ruth was in December, just before you were going back to Australia. So that was... Um, that was quite a difficult meeting. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine it was. How was the first meeting for, for you and Ruth then once you'd uh, heard a bit more from Jenny about, about how she works? Well, I think, you know, for both of us, it was the the sort of elephant in the room, really, which was kind of like, um, if this is happening, and unfortunately it is happening whether we like it or not, um, you know, how are, we gonna, how, how are the kids going to deal with it? And... Um, I think we were both petrified, I suppose is not too strong a word, with the idea that this was going to have such a dramatic effect on the on the boys and that they wouldn't be able to function and that, you know... And you, your mind goes to all these places that it affect their school and, you know, socially they'd be difficult and all that sort of stuff. So um, it was just so unbelievably reassuring for both Ruth and I just to hear Jenny, who's been there, seen it, done it, a thousand times and for her to go listen there there are some simple things that you need to do with the boys and, um, and did you know what you sort of wanted or needed from that first meeting before you well, went I think in just reassurance actually that you know there's a way through this for the boys and that there's every prospect that they're going to be okay as long as they're going to miss their mum terribly you know that's a given and that will always be the case um, but that if we sort of navigate our way through it in as kind of uh, productive way as possible, if we involve them in it, if we don't, you know, if we don't sort of sh- shut down the barricades and not talk about it, then there's every reason to expect they will, they will, it's going to, you know, it's going to affect them in some way, but that it's not going to stop them living a, a normal and a happy life on, on the back of it. Yeah, and did you feel after the meeting you were able to to come back and and, and start to feel ready to talk more ably to the boys yeah I think as I said it was the elephant in the room up to that point and then it was Ruth had always been very open with the boys anyway she I think that's just Mm. her nature she was like Mm. that um she was easy to help yeah but I think instinctively I think she Mm. she knew the right thing to do from the wrong thing to do um do you know how she first communicated to the boys when obviously the, the diagnosis was as it was 
Um, well, I think, you know, certainly I remember the first conversation with the boys about mum having cancer, I did with them because she, when she was first diagnosed, Ruth was very unwell for a few, you know, a week and it was touch and go and mm. she came through it. So I had to take the boys and, and tell them that mum had been diagnosed with cancer. Um, and and then it was just a case of literally keeping them in the loop. You know, every time we went to the doctor, uh, this is the situation. You know, not not getting into the detail, just that, that you know, this this treatment's not working so well anymore. We're going to a new treatment, blah blah blah. Not not kind of scaremongering, just just making mm. sure that they're mm. involved in it. And then, you know, obviously the the really tough conversation comes at the end when when you've got to say, listen, the doctors have said mum hasn't got much time left you know I think those yeah. those ones are the brutal conversations um but again you 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 have to involve them in that and then mm. I think the English way of stiff upper lip shutting down just cracking on with life post the bereavement I mean Jenny you'll tell you'll tell me is unhealthy but also not talking about it before it happens is equally unhealthy because that that's your way of avoiding a lot of the, the kind of really painful stuff afterwards is to just just block it out and say that that's something I'm I'm going only going to deal with after the death. I think that's that's a mistake that a lot of people make and it's not a, you know it's not it's a well-meaning mistake because mm. people don't want mm. to have to think about that stuff and it's very painful but you know Ruth I know that Ruth and I were incredibly grateful and, um, you know, we felt so kind of relieved that we'd been proactive in that process. Mm. Jenny, what's your outlook on, on how you handle this sort of daunting daunting scenario that obviously Andrew and Ruth found themselves in in, in having their own difficulty in, in getting through it, but also wanting to talk to the children and, and, and how you can help them? I mean, I felt overwhelmingly pleased that they wanted to do it. I felt it was easy to help Ruth, and she really wanted to include you in everything. So it, it makes it much, much more um, a family event if you can talk about the boys and each other. And the whole thing was open. It, I'm not saying there, there weren't tears and it wasn't painful. I mean, I found it incredibly moving at times, but it felt really like, it should be. It was good. And I felt very confident that um, whatever, Ruth, and you finally went through, you'd manage it really helpfully. And my understanding is that that happened. You know, to think that she could have done death well, which she wanted to do. Um, no one wants it. No one in the world and no, no, no one less than Ruth. Did you consider wanting to see the boys yourselves? Did that, was that a, a discussion that happened? No, interestingly enough, I mean, I would willingly have seen them if that had been something Ruth and Andrew wanted. But I actually believe that the parents are the best people to be with their children. I'd much rather help the parents to parent in very difficult situations like this, because actually at the end of the day, the surviving parent is going to be the one that's going to be left. And if whoever it is, and in this case, obviously the surviving parent is Andrew, if he's heard from Ruth as much as possible, about what she'd like to, him to do and how she's talked to the boys. If you both know all of that, you know, it's, it's so much easier. So I don't feel you need an expert, not that I'm an expert, but you don't need someone else 
coming in and dealing with your boys. You know them better than I do. If there, if there was an issue or if there was a problem, I'm obviously very open to talk it through. And I would see them. I have seen children where parents have felt overwhelmed, you know, and need extra help. Of course, of course that's there. But it just never really occurred. It hasn't really mattered. Um, it hasn't meant that it, it was a big thing. Yeah, and I think for us, it's um, even right here today, sort of seven months on, that's something that we may well do at some point. Mm. You know, I think it's a, it's a, it's if I feel like it's under control to a certain degree and the boys are, are sort of functioning normally, normally, I was going to say normally, I mean... Normally for an 11 not, and 13-year-old. normal, but, um, <laughs> but uh, then that feels okay. But I'm very conscious that, you know, grief affects people differently at different times. And there may be mm. times where it does affect them differently, in, in which case, you know, it would be wonderful for, for Jenny to see them. But it, it's not, I totally agree that the majority of it, it's Jenny working through me with the kids. Um, and so I will touch base with Jenny and go, this is what's happening at the moment. And this is what I've noticed. And, you know, I might be struggling with this or the kids I think are struggling with that and and she'll just give me some tips as to what to do or what to say or what to read up on and and that's the sort of focus for the next three or four weeks. I think, can I just say, I also think that there, as you say, there is often a time later on that children might need a bit of support. They can be helped by meeting other children who are also going through you know, living without a mum or a dad. Um, and I think there are organisations that can help with that and it can be very useful. Um, I don't want to say that I don't think there's another way of also helping if if that's what children or if the parents feel that that would be, would be helpful. I've got a slightly hypothetical question for you, Andrew, but obviously you don't have to go back too many years before Jenny had begun her work in child bereavement and this support might not have been available are you able to sort of consider how different or how perhaps more difficult it might have been without being able to, to have that support well I think there are so many things when you go through this cancer I mean it doesn't have to be cancer I mean in some ways because we had time to prepare mm. for Ruth's death that's different from someone who you know dies in an accident or whatever but the reality is you are in uncharted territory. This is something you've never done before in your life. Um, and for the the parent that's left behind, you are navigating your own grief. Um, your whole life turned upside down. You know, you've probably got to change your work situation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you're organizing funerals and your wills and all this sort of stuff. Um, and of course, your primary focus is on your kids because you are solely, you know, you are their, the centre of their universe now and it's only one of you. Um, so I, I think it's very easy to spiral out of control. Um, and if you try and do it all yourself and try and sort of navigate it all between your two ears, you know, I think it's very easy for you to to find a... a you know, a, a tipping point or whatever, where it just becomes too much for you. And that's where, you know, I suppose depression, alcohol, whatever it might be, might be a, a way out of it. Um, so to have the right sort of support there, it just it allows you to feel much more in control of 
your environment and what you have to do. And it's, it's, it's busy and it's tough, no doubt about it. But, um, and then it's always just knowing that Jenny's at the end of a phone call or I can, Mm. you know, we can meet up. It's just like, okay, I've, I've got that covered. You know, if if something's Mm. happening with the boys at school or whatever, I've, I've got an outlet for that. And then there's all the other stuff in my life, which I also have to find some outlets for as well. Could I just say here, one of the things I felt that you did so helpfully, and I I don't usually, I've seldom these days, go to a memorial service, but you did a memorial service for Ruth, and the boys were there, and it was just an incredibly helpful, I felt, a helpful place to be for for them to see how many people cared about Mm. their mum, to hear people talk about her. And I know from what you said, it was really difficult. Emotionally, it was really tough. Um, And I could feel it. And everybody spoke, you know, in a very, um, very caring way about what a great wife you had. And it was terribly hard for the boys but I also think that's a lovely memory because grieving's about remembering as well as you know um moving on you know and and I think it's really helpful that they'll be proud that they did that you know when they're adults or and even now you know they they did go to that service and they were so good and so um, real weren't they it was yeah. all very real it was a it was, it was a very moving and that was, you know, I mean, that, that was Jenny's advice was really to to try and in some way n- not force them to do anything, but if they were comfortable playing some role in the service, that would be something that in time they would look back on or likely to look back on in, in, a, in a sort of proud way. And so, you know, they they, they wrote a little tribute to their mum each, which, which um, we got um, Ruth's. Uh, brother and one of Ruth's best friends to to read out and yeah I, I mean I, I agree it was and I think that's actually the the point about grief is it, it's it is remembering and it's that remembering is painful but it's but it's really necessary to do that and mm-hmm. so you know I find you know people talk to me about uh, you having how are you doing yeah what are the bad days like and I, I I just try not to view it as bad days they're just remembering days mm. and you'd be disappointed if you didn't have mm. those days really mm. and and involving the boys in the way that you did also continues that arc that clearly Ruth started of of wanting to do death well and actually if they can be part of of saying goodbye in in that memorial fashion then they get to have been involved in satisfying what she wanted in a way, which I guess is also nice for you as a family to have continued to contribute to something that she wanted. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And with the memorial service, the starting point is always kind of, does this feel like something that Ruth would have wanted? And and that's a it's a nice way of, of kind of keeping her character and her view of the world alive. And And in time, the foundation will grow and evolve. But my job is to make sure it's still very connected with Ruth and her outlook on life and and what she wanted to achieve and that will be hopefully a a sort of a sort of living memorial to Ruth that the boys can obviously you know still be connected to in many years to come as well well we're incredibly grateful to Andrew Strauss for his time and Jenny I know that you wanted to just add on a few thoughts about the benefits of talking to children before death Yes, bereavement starts long before the physical effect of death in situations like Ruth and Andrew's. And wherever possible, the family should start to talk about that with the children first. 
Um, professionals need to reassure parents that they understand their concerns about their children and to acknowledge that it's not easy to talk to children when they have to say things that are going to hurt them. And is this stuff that comes from your own experience or is is there also sort of evidence-based element to it? Both. Uh, My own experience over many years of doing work like this has come to give me the confidence to try and help people, but also there is increasing um, evidence suggests that a child's adjustment after a death is influenced by the openness of the family's communication pattern, Mm. the amount of emotional support in the family, and the child's ability to understand the dying process. I told Ruth and Andrew the story of a dad who was dying who came to see me because he was worried he had not told his sons how ill he was. I mean, I often use examples with families of what other families have told me was important to them. And I obviously, with their permission, um, I don't break confidence, but I can use their experience to help others. So he brought these boys with him to see me, and I asked him to talk to them directly um, with me there. He said, boys, You need to know Dad's got cancer and is very poorly and is not going to get better. And that means when you do your exams at the end of term or when it's sports day, I almost certainly won't still be alive. One of the boys said, the eldest boy said, You've been a great dad all of my life and we'll be fine. It was a very moving moment. And I could see how much it meant Mm. to their father. Both boys got up and gave him a hug. And he didn't live very much longer. And I'm sure that was a very, very significant moment for their family. Mm. Well, I gave Andrew and Ruth similar advice. They were very open and brave with me, and I believed that if they were as brave and as open with their boys, they would manage as a family. Of course, the fact they had a great mum and dad was a big asset. Mm. Yeah, and I understand that that also Andrew has asked you to be an advisor to the Ruth Strauss Foundation. Yes, I was really pleased when Andrew chose to set up a foundation in Ruth's memory and for it to include bereavement support similar to the support he'd received from me or they'd received from me. I've been meeting with different people to educate myself on what is actually out there and to advise Andrew and the trustees on what I've learnt. And what have you found, given that there's obviously only one of you and and as you said, you, you need time to be able to see your own family and that sort of thing. So you're unable to help everybody these days, but but I think you've you've found some people who can who can help you in that. I was encouraged by the Maggie Centres, the centres that have been set up specifically for people with cancer that are attached to hospitals in this country. Um, It's something that's given me a very clear understanding of what they can do by going to meet with them. And Andrew and I enjoyed that um, time where we saw All Rounder Centre in London. Yeah, so tell tell us a little bit more about, about what their mission is. Maggie's is a charity providing free cancer support and information to anybody living with cancer. Professional teams, including cancer support specialists and psychologists, can provide help and information on talking to family members and children about cancer and dying. 
both on a one-to-one basis and part of a bereavement group sessions. So there are 22 Maggie centres in the UK and I understand they're attached to large NHS cancer hospitals that treat people with cancer and, uh, and they're very eager to expand to having 60 centres in this country and if you want more information on that then you can go to www.maggiescentres.org um, and we will also leave some information in the podcast description. Um, well there we are, I mean it's, uh, I hope that's been a suitable introduction to the sort of things we'll be aiming to discuss during this series. Um, Jenny, what are the main themes that we will be looking to cover over the next few episodes? Well, I'm going to talk a bit about how my work began, how it was very much in a baby unit, Mm -hmm. the loss of a baby, whether in pregnancy in the maternity area or in a stillborn baby, a neonatal death, which is a baby that dies soon after birth, mm-hmm. and working with couples and how men and women grieve differently. And over the rest of the series, we'll cover when a baby or young child dies suddenly or unexpectedly and filling in the jigsaw. Okay. We'll also discuss the death of an older child through illness, accident or suicide, the death of a parent, and I also want to talk about professionals who encounter bereavement about them knowing themselves and why they do this work. Which actually brings us on nicely to be able to mention one of your resources, uh, which is called This Is About Me and You. Now, it's available for free and is on the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust website, almt.org. You can find it on the Grief Counselling Resources section. It's a downloadable PDF of pages and also an accompanying accompanying PDF guide on how to work through it. So what's it about, Jenny? The book's about working together with a child when you yourself have not got very long to live, when you know that you have a terminal condition. It's really helpful to have something you can do with your son or daughter. It's always very important that if you're a professional offering this to a bereaved family where there's going to be a bereavement that you as the nurse or the health visitor or the doctor or the counsellor you actually use this book yourself first because it does bring up quite a lot of feelings it's about you and me and the you being the the parent that's not expected to live talking to the child who is the me about themselves and the purpose of it it came because I worked with two little children that taught me about how helpful it was to do something with their mummy when they knew she was dying yeah so yes that's that's what it's about so each page gives you an opportunity to talk about yourself and how your feelings there's one where there's a drawing of a body and you as the uh, you as the mum or dad will say where you have got something that's very seriously wrong and you'll draw it possibly on your body I did it with a dad who had a brain tumor and he put a bandage on his head and said that's where the prob the cancer was for him um so and there's a bit about talking to children about dreams because very often children will write in a dream cloud um, a feeling um, because they think that that's a dream that they've had but often it's reality it's something they're worried about and they can talk about it as a dream so it's got lots of lots of uses and you can do a page at a time Mm. and you mentioned there about professionals using it themselves Why, why do you feel that they need to do that obviously it might not be that they're in that situation but it's it's just so that they have insight they can help guide people through through using it it's more that to, it's more about um, 
gaining your own self-awareness. It's more about being, oh, okay. notice what's going on in you. And if you feel that um, you can understand yourself and you'll be able to do it more easily because you'll know what it feels like. Mm. So whenever you do any work with children, it's always important to have been very clear about how you feel about what you're talking about. Excellent. Okay, well, Jenny, I think that's... Uh... I think that's a really helpful first episode and I hope those of you listening have found some of our discussions and the insight from Andrew Strauss useful as well. Um, Jen, would you perhaps have a final thought for us? Yes, I think the most important thing when we have very, very bad news is helping people to face the reality of what they've just been told. It takes a long time, but it's an important part of what we have to do. And it allowed with Andrew and Ruth to face the reality and then the feelings that it brought up and then what to do about it um sharing those feelings and then they were able to express more how they how they felt it helped in how ruth wanted to do death well she was an easy person to help because she was open about wanting to do that to do death well well, we really hope this will be a series that you will get a lot from. Jenny, thank you very much indeed. And we'll be back here for episode two very soon. But for now, from both of us, it's goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.